Well, I hope you had a chance to listen to one of our most recent episodes of the Tech Ed Podcast, where we covered 15 trends in technical education in the year 2022. If you did, you know that here at the Tech Ed Podcast, we are all about thinking about, talking about, disrupting, and shaping the future of technical education. If you listen often, you also know that we love the world of manufacturing. And while we don't focus exclusively on industry and manufacturing, we spend a ton of time on that topic here as well. And we have interviewed some of the most interesting people leading manufacturing companies, companies like Rockwell Automation and Fanuc and Ashley Furniture and Oshkosh Defense and Mercury Marine and so many more. Well, today on the Tech Ed Podcast, these two worlds collide the world of predicting the future, and the world of manufacturing. And they smash into each other as we talk about what trends will shape manufacturing in the future and in the years to come. What are manufacturers doing right when it comes to reaching new clients and markets? Where are they missing opportunities to do exactly the same thing? What if those markets that they need to reach include students who are considering pathways in the world of manufacturing? Today's guest is a podcast host himself. He has extensive leadership, operations, and marketing experience in the manufacturing space and in other spaces. He will talk all about that today, and he is going to bring all of that to bear in what promises to be an enlightening and intriguing discussion. Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. I am Matt Kirkner, and it is wonderful to be able to welcome the host of Industrial Talk with Scott McKenzie, none other than Scott himself. Scott, welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. This is going to be great. It's going to be a great conversation and an important topic, big time. No question about either of those things. It is going to be a great conversation. The topic is so very important to us and to our listeners. And so let's dive right in. I know let's start out by just talking about your background, about what brought you to where you are. Tell us about how you ended up in this space and what that path and that journey looked like for you, Scott. Well, I grew up in a small town in California. And the way that normally rolled with uh, any type of career path is that you'd follow your for me and many within my my circle of friends would follow your father's footsteps, right? And my dad was a, a lineman, and therefore I became a lineman. And I worked for the utility company. I was a transmission journeyman lineman, climbed the towers, did all that good stuff. And that was the funnel approach to fulfilling the business opportunities for like, let's say utilities. You know, father's got a son, his son's going to follow and blah, blah, blah. And in our house, in our house, our family spoke highly of linemen, and and so it, it was a natural fit. And it was like, yeah, yeah, I, I hung out with my dad's friends and buddies. Fast forward, I went to school at night at, at the same time and uh, achieved my MBA, and, and then so I became corporate guy within the utility space, and I negotiated all of the power purchase agreements within Southern California Edison. And then uh, from there, we started deregulating. I was uh, representing uh, Southern California Edison in deregulation, utility deregulation. Fast forward, went into consulting and found myself as president of a a large bulk liquid terminal company. And then uh, we took that company public. And then apparently you retire. That's what the internet says. 
it's all out there, right? That he's supposed to retire. And then the internet says you got to be a consultant or a coach. So I became another consultant. And then I started an industrial maintenance company after that. So I started an industrial maintenance company. What does that mean? Well, we're doing heavy equipment. We're staff og, water work, whatever it might be. But the reality is, is that it's a very commoditized business model, very challenging, very difficult. And so from there, I spent a lot of money on marketing. Like, you know, I have to get my message out. I, they don't know who I am. So what do I do? And, and I'm competing with big people. So I spent a lot of money on marketing and realized that I got nothing out of it. Nothing. It's just awful. And I, was, I wasn't too happy. And I'm buzzing back from a client's location. I'm listening to podcasts. And then I just said, I could do that. I don't know why, but all I wanted to do was just change the conversation I have with Chevron. Instead of me saying, hey, hi, Chevron, we do industrial maintenance. You want to talk to me? And you know how many people want to talk about industrial maintenance? Absolutely zero. Right. Nobody. They run away from you. And so changing that conversation, changing that dynamic, such as, hey, I hear you have an outage coming up. I hear that, uh, you know, the, the listeners of Industrial Talk would love to be able to hear what you have to say. Boom, door opens. You just sit there and you, then you create what is really the most important part of that relationship, that friendship. And, and you get to be, bring out that human side of each other. And it's like, oh, oh, industry's just human. But we forget about that, right? We do. We just, you know, hey, I got this widget, man. The widget's fantastic. But we don't talk about the human element. And that's what we need. And I've just, you know, spring forward, boom. I sold my other company and then now I'm doing this and I like this better because everybody's happy. Well, you know, there's a few things that I absolutely love about that answer, Scott. The first one is that we talk a lot on the Tech Ed podcast about the fact that the world of industry, in your case, starting out in the world of energy, you know, those are areas where you can start out literally sweeping the floor and end up running the company or pause anywhere in between and have a really amazing, rewarding career. In your case, you had a huge head start, uh, number one, by being inspired by a father who was already in the business. Number two, I'm sure by being trained uh, in the world of being a lineman, which is no small task and requires a tremendous amount of, of ability, skill, and knowledge. But then you parlayed that into the opportunity to negotiate huge contracts, to run huge organizations, and now to inspire others through your podcast and in so many other ways. I'll tell you the other thing that I like about that answer is the whole idea of what we call content marketing. And, and you're right. I mean, we we talk with our, our team and our manufacturing companies and, you know, picking up the phone and calling somebody and saying, let's meet about and then fill in the blank, sending that blanket email saying, hey, hope 2022 is off to a great start. Can we meet? I mean, that world is done. And it's all about how how you can share information, how you can inspire people, how you can help them make their organizations better. And along the way, hey, if we can if we can contract to do A, B, or C, that's great. But that is the future of manufacturing marketing, and we're going to get into that incredibly deeply today. So another question for you: You know, we, we talked in the intro about the importance of trends in the world of industry, in the world of manufacturing. Be interested, you know, we're, we're huge into innovation. We're huge into disruption here. What are some of those common trends as you're talking to manufacturing leaders, to industrial leaders? Maybe give us three of them. Where, where are they seeing their organizations going? What's on the horizon? What are they worried about? What are they thinking about for the future? I was very fortunate to be able to broadcast from the Manufacturing and Technology Show up in Cleveland. Fantastic. 
go Cleveland. Love it. What I did hear from the manufacturers that were there is, of course, a couple of things. This technology, this this juggernaut, this whatever this renaissance that we are experienced within technology and innovation, there is a trust challenge. Everybody apparently has a shingle that says, I do AI, I do IoT, I do data analytics, I do edge, and everybody does all of that. And everybody says the same thing. So there's this trust and messaging confusion. It's like, where do I go? Where do I start? I, I Every day I'm hearing this thing that I got to do, but it's a different message. It's, that's one. So there's a trust and confusion. Two, there is real pain when it comes to workforce management, right? Okay. So we're having a hard time. Uh, I, me, manufacturers having a hard time filling that uh, workforce. Boom. No doubt about it. And they're leaving. And then there's this churn that always happens. If I invest my time, energy, and effort in my wisdom, that individual is going to take that time, energy, and effort and wisdom to another location. It's just there's a there's a velocity that exists within the churn. Then I have this sort of, it's not a negative. It's just a way of describing a sort of a seasoned, stagnant workforce that's been there for many years. How do I upskill them, reskill them, bring in what I need to bring in to be able to satisfy or deliver next-gen stuff, right? So these are difficult conversations. The third is I'm already dealing with all this other stuff. It's like this, this stuff over here. And I, I don't want any more headaches, but you come knocking on my door provider of solutions. And you talk about this brave new world about technology and, and innovation, and, and it's going to solve all my problems. Oh, I guarantee it's not. You're adding to my bucket of problems and challenges that I'm already stressed out. Those are some of the things. Those are the problems. Now, I will not, and I will not sit here and say, doggone Matt, this is not the way to go. It is the way to go. We have to figure out how to deploy innovation and technology within the manufacturing space that is meaningful. That's one. Two, we need to do it in such a way that it's cost effective, right? It is still a big black box. If I say, hey, yes, I want to put, you know, devices on my line, how much is that going to cost me? And right now, it's, it's still very prohibitive. So when I look at that, it has to happen, but we've got to drive down that cost. The other thing, boy, you got me, Carolyn, on this. You can tell I've thought about this, right? The other thing is this convergence, this velocity, this, this speed at technology. So me, I am the manufacturer, right? He came to me last week and said, yep, IoT. We can put devices on your line, boom, and then we're just going to send it up there, and then you're going to be able to do this, that, and the other thing. You come back to me one week from now, and it's like, no, no, you – Last week was this. This week is now IoT plus, you know, dazzle. And then you're going to come back to me at another week and it's going to be plus dazzle plus spectacular, right? And it's just, and it's it's not to say that it's not doable. It's just to, to say that there's this convergence and the messaging is so just all over the place. How do we simplify that? Absolutely. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a great question to ask. How do we simplify that? We talk quite a bit about approaching, whether we call it an IIoT journey, an industry 4.0 revolution, what have you, through the whole idea of lean, through the whole idea of waste management, of cost reduction. 
And I think that's a really, really good place to start. But there's so many of these challenges that you chat about with regard to industrial manufacturers, to industrial employers, the whole challenge of workforce, the seasoned employees. How do we take people that are working in our organizations today who may still be there 10 or 20 years from now in some cases in, in a world of manufacturing and industry that, to your point, is advancing at exponential speed? Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to keep up. And then you have solutions providers walking in the door saying, we can fix every problem that you have using smart technology, smart devices, artificial intelligence, machine learning. How do you know who to believe and who not to believe? And, and getting it wrong is really expensive and, and really risky, especially right if you're a small to mid-sized company. Big so talk, boom, we, right on the mark. We talked to you know companies, we mentioned them in the intro, companies like Rockwell and Fanuc and, and Snap-on. I mean, these are companies that can literally invest you know, tens of millions, in some cases, a half a billion dollars in an IoT journey and a revolution and a transformation. That's not the case if you're a 10, 20, $50 million company, is it? So tell us a little bit about what challenges are specific to small to mid-sized manufacturers and industrial employers who want to take advantage of these trends. You hit the nail on the head. It's a simple fact that it's becoming a big company game. This technology, this innovation is big company. And this is where the cost comes into. If we drive these solutions down from a cost perspective, then it opens more doors. Everybody's able to participate in, in this beautiful renaissance of technology and innovation, which is important because the benefits are obvious. Less waste, more uptime, whatever it might be, whatever your drivers are. But we're still at a point where Rockwell, Hitachi, you know, the Intel, uh, ABB, they're able to do a lot of this stuff, right? And make mistakes. But are those mistakes saying, all right, we could have done it more cost effective. And let's get that information down to the small to mid-size where the majority of people work, right? That's, that's like the core of where everybody works, right? So is that solution coming down to them? Because I look at it this way. Yeah, this is me. This is rose-colored glasses. I'm excited. I wish I was younger because I think that there's a lot of great innovation happening out there. But for me, how does this technology journey, this uh, innovation journey, reduce the cost of food, make it available? What about water? What about the essentials of life, right? What about healthcare? How is that impacting in a positive way to help make all of that stuff available for the masses, because there's still parts of the world. There's like parts of the world that don't have that. And by the way, if we can do that, if we can do that on the, in the whole field of healthcare, you may have another 50 or hundred years ahead of you. You may still be a young guy. So you say you wish you were younger. We may be living in a world where you will be through the, the advancements in healthcare technology. I don't know if I can keep up the energy, Matt. I'm trying. I really am. But it became real clear when I was broadcasting in Barcelona one year. One year, I sat down talking to people. Great tech, exciting, wonderful. The next year was like, oh my gosh, you were here at version one. Now you're at version 25 of whatever your solution is. And, and everybody's having a fine time, but the big companies can do that. And then you have parts of the world where it's like, guys, I, I, I can't participate. You're going too fast for me. And that to me was sort of a shot upside the head where how do we just make it available? That's sort of where I'm always sort of focused on on how do we enable all of this wonderful technology and innovation for the masses. And we're going to get into that a little bit as we talk about your whole world 
of industrial entertainment and that whole concept. I want to just make an observation. You know, we had uh, Tim Sullivan, who's the former CEO of Bucyrus International. He sold that company to Caterpillar perhaps a decade ago. He was a guest on the podcast maybe three weeks ago or so. He's now running a huge foundation, putting tons of money into the world of technical education. Fascinating person. But he he really went deep into this whole idea that you know, if we turn the clock back 30, 40 years ago, so many people worked for, you know, the major OEMs, right? And that's where manufacturing employment was. I ran a, a Rockwell automation spinoff for 10 years as CEO and had employed a number of Rockwell people in that organization. That's where employment existed 30, 40 years ago. Today, it's really manufacturing employment exists at those tier one, tier two manufacturers, the innovators, the machining companies, the metal finishers, the stampers, and so on, the metal fabricators. And that is where so many of these folks are employed. So manufacturing at its core is moving toward smaller and medium-sized businesses as manufacturers evolve and as always focus on their core competencies. Many times is more along the lines of innovation and marketing and reaching new market spaces and, and less so on actually manufacturing specific products. And so as manufacturing moves more and more toward the tier one, tier two suppliers, toward, as we said, maybe 10, 50, $100 million companies, the manufacturing marketing has to move there as well. Now, you've got some great ideas of sharing trends in marketing. We mentioned this term called industrial entertainment. What is industrial entertainment? Yeah, so I'm sitting there. I read a book called Play Bigger, right? And I, and it wraps around uh, this effort to try to define your category, your business category. You know, you're in hotel, you're in leisure, and if you're in you know cars, you're in automotive. Whatever your category is, right? But to try to create and a new category for it. So I'm sitting here and I'm doing these podcasts. I'm talking to great people, and it's it's all fun and wonderful. And I was struggling. I was struggling with, well, where's this going? What this is fine. I mean, it's so I'm talking to a bunch of people and now what's the next step? What what are we doing? So I I created a category called industrial entertainment. The reason I did that is if we are to attract youth, younger people, I referred back to my me as a as a young kid. And when I'd go to school, they would play films. Real films, you know. I you was know, there too. The Absolutely, that, the, the yeah, projector. Uh, the teacher took ten minutes to figure out how to right. make it work, yep. right? And it's still fluttering. <laughs> yep. Anyway, and but the films were all about, hey, here's logistics. Here's the truck driver delivering the bread to this particular location, and here's the supply chain. Well, they never used supply chain. It was just like, oh, that's pretty cool. Look at that truck. That's pretty good. So now, when you start to look at the younger people, they consume information differently. We here, let's say manufacturing industry, we hold on to the past. And so we communicate like we're communicating from the boardroom. And nobody, even I, I, and I've been in it. I'm not listening to it. I am not. So with that fact, I better be entertaining, maybe a little provocative, show a little, you know, zest and passion for industry. And yet we still don't. So industrial entertainment is all about, okay, Matt, where do you go to get your sports information? Yeah, right. ESPN, right? ESPN. Yep. Boom. And then you can just sort of, you know, bounce from there to wherever you want to go. It's But it's right there. My sports consumption process is simple. It has no friction. I can get the information I want. That's what we need. But it has to be delivered in an entertaining way. It just does. It has to 
feature individuals that have some level of street cred when they're talking about whatever, right? That's what they do at ESPN. That's what they do at other platforms. They feature individuals that have some entertainment in them, a little passion, a little buzz, but has the street cred. We've got to create a simple way for young people who consume content a specific way. We've got to change. We, older people, whatever, we have to change so that we can deliver very important information in an entertaining way, backed up by street cred. And that, to me, is industrial entertainment. Again, if I go out and if I do, you know, facilitate some stuff, whatever it might be, if it's not entertaining, if it doesn't have it, it's a problem. You can literally hear the virtual phones hang up when it's when it's dry as popcorn. And I'm not saying that the solution is not spectacular, right? I'm just saying that nobody is listening to it, and therefore we fail in this virtual world, in what we're doing, and what we are do- got to do going forward. If we do not deliver that, we fail. Many companies, many companies, manufacturers, they just say, okay, I posted that graphic. It goes nowhere. It's wasted time. It's wasted effort. It could. It's like, yeah, we got the cure for cancer, but if nobody listens to it, nobody takes action, everyone dies of cancer. This whole idea of taking a, a separate market space. So we think about it, and you mentioned some of them. We have market spaces for automotive. We have market spaces for healthcare. We have distribution. We have logistics. We have entertainment, industrial entertainment, making that its own space, and, and then proliferating content in that area, telling people about, the first of all, the amazing things that, that manufacturers are doing. None of us would have any of the things that we have without manufacturing. We take that for granted. And then just how these careers are evolving for young people. You know, you talked a little bit about being inspired toward being a lineman because your dad was a lineman. You go back again that 30, 40 years ago when technology wasn't changing as quickly, you could have the same job that your dad had. And in today's world, uh, you may not have the same job that you have a year from now just because the technology is changing as quickly as it as it is. So it's just a, it's an intriguing time to, to be living in, but brings with it a whole new set of ways that we need to reach out to new markets, to reach out to, again, students and to industrial customers and so on. And in industrial entertainment being a really key way that we can do that. Give manufacturers a grade. You know, when we look at manufacturing marketing and we look at the importance of reaching those new markets with new ways of marketing, with content marketing, with being entertaining, with being interesting, with not just you know, dialing for dollars and and picking up the Rolodex and calling whoever's next in line. How are manufacturers doing when it comes to marketing the employment opportunities in manufacturing and for that matter, their own manufacturing services and products to other manufacturers in a B2B sense? Um, I don't mean to be harsh, but I believe that there are manufacturers that get it. There are manufacturers that will make their message consumable make it cool make it kind of hip whatever whatever the whatever the tech and then keep at it right you can't just say ah i'm cool and hip today and then tomorrow i stay with the the same thing and then eventually one week and it's about that fast one week from now you're not cool and hip so it requires a constant constant focus that's one two 
you have to see the value in it, right? Many don't. Many like, hey, we just produce the best part of the, we stamp it and it goes out the door. We're just, we're focused in on making that line more efficient and efficient. And that's fine. But you're not going to attract certain people and people are not going to consume your content. So if I were to grade manufacturing, it's a D because it's being held to, in some cases by old guys like me who don't like change, who's been doing this for 40 years. And this is the way we always did it. We, we carried our briefcase in. And, and if you think it's going to attract a workforce that's going to be excited about working for your organization, you got another thing coming. You've got to really put yourself out in a, you know, in an uncomfortable way. That's that to me is really important to many manufacturers. And again, this is not a slam by any means. Many manufacturers said, but I am, I'm doing marketing. I have somebody in house and we're creating graphics and that's what they do. I'm of the opinion that the marketing has to generate revenue, right? It's got to bring opportunities in the door. It's got to open doors. It's got to instill some sort of dialogue. It's like, hey, what problem are you dealing with? Well, I'm dealing with this. Something that is human-centric, you know, other focus. Many, many manufacturers say, yeah, I post it. And I'll, I'll go to LinkedIn, and, and I guarantee you, you do the same thing, Matt. You just sort of scroll. Right. Yeah. And there's one and post it, from a month ago and something else from three months ago. And it's, you know, they're not consistent messages and you're, where are you going with that? I, I yeah. totally get it. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to sort of go off on a tangent real quick. This podcast that I do is not a vanity project. It is strictly a, a platform that opens doors for others. Right. For example, manufacturers, who are your customers? You know, let, let's get them on a podcast. Tell me why this manufacturer is such a fantastic manufacturer because you're a customer. We don't do that. I don't, I don't hear customer stories, right? That's one. Two, what about internal people, right? What about your workforce that just love working for you? Let's get them. What are you, what are you doing in your man? Well, I do this and I manage that. Wow, that's fantastic. And have those positive stories. But the real crux is as you start to build all those great stories, human-centric, easy to get at, whatever it might be, entertaining, all of those components. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just some great examples of how we can, you know, how we can tell stories, how we can focus on what differentiates one company from another. And, and it's really going back to where we started, which is, you know, picking up the phone and trying to get a meeting that day is gone and finding a way to, to help an organization before you ask them for anything. I mean, that's just a great way to, to build a relationship. You know, I have a, a good friend, had a good friend, I should say, gentleman by the name of Bill Nims. He passed away in April of 2021. Bill owned a manufacturing company in the Milwaukee area. And he had a saying, and this goes back 25 years. And he said, I never hurt myself by helping other people. And that has just always stuck with me that when you're trying to build a relationship with a new customer, a new client, don't go out there with your hands open saying, hey, what can you give me? Where can I help you? And with asking for nothing in return, other than the satisfaction of knowing that you improved another company, you improved another person's life. And it is amazing how that comes back to benefit people, not just in manufacturing, but in every single walk of life. And, and that sounds like exactly what you're doing. I, it's funny. I have a quote just right here. No one goes broke by helping others. 
Perfect. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, the opposite happens. And if that's not your goal, if your goal is to help people, the unintended consequence of that so oftentimes is that all those blessings and all that value seems to come back to you. So just a perfect way of looking at it. But Matt, you bring up an interesting point. First off, it's got to come from the heart. You've got to believe that you want to help others. And that's really where it's at. For sure. You've got to believe that manufacturing is so important to the world. And that's how I look at it. It is. So every time I'm talking to somebody, you're important and it comes from the heart and I want to do everything I can to, to help you. This is where the old conventional thinking, I've got to close deals. And there's that lack of patience that exists there. It's like, it's hard to stop that for some. And it's like, guys, just telling you right now, give, give, give other focus and you'll have a return on that investment. You will. No, absolutely. And in some, of our, in some of our businesses where we engage with companies that have that close the deal mindset, it's such a turnoff to so many now, especially in this day and age where, you know, customers have so many options, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they didn't have the ability to just literally turn their computer on and see every one of your competitors and every alternative to whatever it is that you're trying to convince them to do. And that, that world is gone and gone along with it is this whole idea of, you know, what are all my strategies for closing this deal? The strategy for closing the deal is show the client how you can add value in their organization. And if they see it the same way, the deal will come together. And if they don't see it the same way, then you weren't adding value in the way that you thought you were anyway, go back to your marketing model and, and your business model and figure it out. This also kind of ports itself over to the world of engaging with students and getting young people excited about careers in manufacturing. So we've talked about how do we do more better content marketing in the B2B world? How do we create a buzz around manufacturing for young people who may be considering this career pathway? Yeah. When I was going through high school, I was in the uh, shop classes, right? It was just a natural. It's like, yeah, I want to change that engine out. Yeah, I wanna, and I, I just naturally gravitated toward that and and therefore instilled a passion on, on my end. And of course, my family was very big into that. Again, as I mentioned, there's a lot of headwind. And a headwind is brought to you, if, if I'm a young individual, they've got to have the backbone to, to not listen to it, right? They've got to have the backbone to say, this is is where I need to go. Also, maybe somebody says, yeah, manufacturing's dirty. And, and there's just a lot of misconception out there. And again, we're not doing a good job. But if you create a platform that's entertaining and educational, right, that speaks to them, why this is cool, and then feature those individuals like from Rockwell, hey, check this out. And to be able to do it in such a way and deliver it in such a way that it maintains attention and not listen to all the negative stuff out there. Stop listening to that. Pursue this because it's an important career and it has tremendous value and just excitement going forward. You can go anywhere. It is just like open. We've just got to rethink it, do it, move forward, educate from an entertaining point of view and feature these heroes, these manufacturing heroes that are doing it, that are real. You know, we talk about turning the world of manufacturing marketing into the world of ESPN. Let me just draw a quick sports analogy. I was, was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal within the last couple of weeks, and it was it, it caught my eye because, of course, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, being a, a loyal Wisconsinite. And Mike McCarthy, former coach of the Green Bay Packers, is now coaching with a fair de degree of success in the Dallas Cowboys. And they went into this whole idea of at the beginning of the season or earlier in the season, he had two what they called scientists come in. And these were people who were experts in the world of learning. 
and he said, I want you to sit through our meeting with our team. I want you to just give us some observations on what we're doing well and what we could do better. And the first thing that they said was, look, you guys are sitting here watching film of previous games for hours and hours on end. And that's not how people consume information. And in many cases, you've got your players in this new world of virtual learning at home. Maybe their kids are there, their spouses are there, they've got all these distractions and you're having them watch hours of film. We need to deliver that in shorter snippets. We need to think about the audience to whom we're marketing. And in that case, they're marketing to football players. In this case, marketing to young people who may be interested in careers in manufacturing. But how do we meet them where they are with a message that is consistent with the way that they consume information and the way that they're inspired? And it sounds like that's exactly what you're talking about. So you bring up an absolutely, when I was teaching at a university here, right? And you get that university book, right? It weighs around 25 pounds. It's thick and it's, it's got wisdom buried and it's steeped and it's dripping with wisdom and insights and all that stuff. The reality is I would always come in and start my class and here's five things. Five things that I want you to leave this class with. Yeah, the semester, we'll go through all of this, but I'm going to continue to reiterate this because that's important stuff. This is important. This is important. Five things. And you know, they would leave with those five things. And that was moving the ball forward. It might not, might have been a yard, maybe two yards, whatever. But it moved the ball forward as opposed to, here it is. Good luck. And they might get one. And, and so we just have to just rethink that. And how about doing something like, you just like, here's the point. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Have a great day. So I used to travel the country doing these presentations, these seminars on how to turn around a manufacturing company. We had, a, I think it was the, the five steps to a manufacturing turnaround. And one of the things that I would talk about is you need to boil your business model down to five things. So exactly what you're saying, boil it down to five things. And I said, if you can figure out those five things that drive the business, talk about that incessantly, make that your message in every one of your meetings, make sure that every member of your team can repeat what those five things are, you will drive change. And I had a person in the audience one time, and she was a wonderful person. She was the head of HR, vice president of human resources, Fortune 500 company. Everybody listening would recognize the company. I'm not going to embarrass her by mentioning what it was. But she said, well, at, and she said her company, she said, we don't have five things. We have 10 things that drive our business. And so I'd like to politely disagree with you, as she said. And I said, okay, I'm game for that. I said, what are the 10 things? And she could remember five. (laughs) Perfectly making the point. (laughs) I have no idea why five is the number, but it is. It's always the number. Three to five, either or. Three to five. Don't go any Six, problematic. Five, okay, you got it. You got it. Everybody can remember five things. Everybody can remember three. Most people can remember five, boil it down to Down to five things. It's exactly perfect. When we think about those five things, when we think about focusing the message, when we think, and again, on this this whole topic of how we inspire young people toward careers in in industry and manufacturing, you you talked about your journey through K-12. What should K-12 schools, educators, school districts, that whole world be doing differently to get students excited about industrial careers, about careers in advanced manufacturing? Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's a challenge. And the reason for me, it's a challenge. And I, I'm just going to sort of venture into this water. I think conventional education, the way it is today, is woefully ill-equipped to be able to deal with the dynamic and velocity that is taking place within industry. So how do you craft that message of technology, innovation is happening out there, but next week it's going to be different. How do you take conventional educational platforms or schools or whatever 
it just, it requires a lot of effort on the teacher's side to recognize the importance of this innovative journey that we're on. So you're looking at the class of 30 kids. And in that class of 30 kids, not everybody's going to go down the manufacturing or industrial route. So how do you how do you educate to the masses? That's what they're always struggling with. Here's math, here's reading, here's, and it's all good. It has to happen. But how do you inculcate the technology message into that? And the only way that I can think of, me, is that you got to bring back some sort of that sort of a shop mentality because I gravitated to the shop. I'm going to do welding. So everybody that was in my class wanted to weld. And so you'd have this, this network of kids that wanted to weld or repair an engine or whatever it might be. The same thing has to exist. So conventional, they've got to just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Let's just say that. But we have to be able to recognize there's this, and we have to do it, and it's fast, and recognize that we need to create that network within the schools and, and point that out. I think the teachers have to also say, hey, this is, this is cool. This is robotics. But some of you might think it's pretty cool. You need to know about it. Well, and I think the other thing that we see is this crossover between, you know, the traditional technical education route and the traditional STEM route, if you will, where you had one group of students that were on their way to these four-year degrees in engineering or, or math or what have you, and this other group of students that were on their way direct to workforce. And we're starting to see huge crossover in that. You mentioned the whole world of uh, robotics and that, all those competencies. You know, I can teach a student to program a robot and that student can go out and get an amazing job at a manufacturing company, literally right out of high school, making, you know, depending on where you're living in the country, $60,000, $70,000 a year, driving whatever pickup truck you want to drive, whatever comes next for you after high school. And that's not a dead end. That's a start to, I can continue my education. I can still be a lifelong learner. That's not a, it's not the consolation prize of education. It's just another awesome pathway. And then we have these students who are interested in still interested in STEM, still going on to a four-year engineering pathway, but getting all this contextual learning while they're in high school around robotics, around automation, around, in some cases, welding, machining. We can teach STEM skills in the shop class, even though we don't call it shop anymore. Is that right? I think I like the way that approach. But the reality is, again, I'm always struggling with the the velocity that is taking place that exists, like robotics. I mean, we keep using it. It's, It's just an amazing thing. Lincoln electric. They've got some amazing, mad technology out there. And it's welding. It's, it's whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's mad stuff. Yeah. Virtual reality welding. They've got, you know, all the curriculum. Yeah. Them and Miller, both, both of them are doing a great job in that space. Yeah. It's mind blowing. It's like yesterday we weren't there today. We are. And I'm just, it's like amazing. My head is just you know, you got to keep it on a swivel because things are changing so quickly, but it's just that compounded with all the other ones. And, and I think that if we do not deliver, if we don't deliver the entertainment, the excitement, the passion, and deliver the message from K-12, whatever, then there's going to be this tsunami of people that are just not interested in your manufacturing. And we've got to stop that. We've got to, we're, we're behind the eight ball on that. We've got to get going and we've got to deliver it in such a way that people just, and be engaged. Like when I was uh, becoming a journeyman, took me five years as a lineman. 
it was all hands-on. It was hands-on in the field. And I had crotchety, seasoned linemen helping me every step of the way because I knew that if I did this, I would die. Don't do that. I'm here to help you. And it was just, it, it requires that. Just does. You can't just sit there and dump it on their lap and say, yeah, here you go. You got, it's, it's far more. That means bringing in that human element. So that world of passion that we talk about, the message and getting that message on point, you've got such a degree of enthusiasm around this whole point. Scott McKenzie, who is the host of Industrial Talk, and uh, certainly for our listeners, check it out. It's a great podcast. He's doing amazing work. Scott, we've had such an amazing conversation, just an incredible conversation today. I want to close our time out together, which has been really invigorating for me, really fascinating for me, with the one question that we ask every single guest here on the Tech Ed Podcast. And that is, if you had one piece of advice, we've talked about students going through their K-12 pathway, one piece of advice for a high school sophomore as they think about their future, what would that piece of advice be? Get into industry. Get in and look at the technology that is being used today and get involved. Look at it. Study it. Find somebody that is also doing it. I guarantee you, your platform would be more than happy to introduce and open doors to people who are just old seasoned codgers like me, would love to be able to mentor, help, just do it. The world is your oyster. It is. It's just, it'll open it up and you could go anywhere, anywhere in the world and chart your own path. The world is your oyster. <laughs> The world is your oyster and the pearl at the center of that oyster may just be a career in industry and manufacturing. The great answer, Scott, we really appreciate your time. Scott McKenzie, host of Industrial Talk here on the Tech Ed Podcast. It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It was, yeah, I geek out on this stuff. Yeah, I like it. We can tell. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.